0: Savina is a lawyer and part of my team at Lawyers' Chambers. Savina's been practicing law with us for over four years now and regularly advises and represents strata buildings and lot owners on day-to-day issues such as bylaw drafting, bylaw breaches and tribunal proceedings. I invited Savina to join us today to share her knowledge and experience when it comes to strata bylaws. Hi, Savina. How are you?
1: I'm very well, Amanda. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Now, before we start, I just want to tell our listeners about the Strata Essentials ebook. If you haven't yep. been over to the Your Strata Property website yet, head over after this episode because we've got a new free ebook available for download. And that ebook tells you the six things I think you absolutely must know about owning a Strata property. Now bylaws, which we're going to talk about today, is just one of those six things. Yeah. So, head over to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au and download the Strata Essentials ebook, and I'll remind you about that at the end of the
1: episode too.
0: So, Savina, let's start with the basics. What are bylaws?
1: Well, to answer that question, I think it's very important to understand that when you live in a strata complex, you're essentially sharing the building, including its facilities with other residents. So there might be, say, a gymnasium or a garden ail strata complex that you're required to share with your neighbours. So to ensure that the community you're living in is dispute-free, bylaws are created as house rules to govern the use of common property, as well as to regulate the behaviour of residents in the building.
0: Indeed they are. And they're things that are created on the registration of a strata plan. So they're often things that the developer puts in place, aren't they, Savina?
1: Yeah, exactly. So they're generally bylaws created by the developer before the building is built. So that, say, if you move into you know a newly built development, there are already a set of bylaws that you need to be aware of before you start living your strata complex. Indeed.
0: And that's something that I think that's something that we find as lawyers and often lawyers who are advising owners who've just bought into Strata, we find that they don't realise that bylaws exist and they might be hearing from us for the first time what bylaws are, what they mean, where to find them and how they impact your day-to-day living.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's very easy to miss, especially if it looks like, you know, the terms and conditions of Apple iTunes and most people just don't want to read it. <laughs> don't want to know about it. Exactly. Just but want to buy their perfect home. Yeah, and live in it and then just, you know, do their own thing. So, Savina, why is it so important for
0: Strata owners and residents to know about and understand their building's bylaws?
1: Yeah. So as I just mentioned before, in, strata, in a strata complex, residents living in very close proximity to one another, yep. and they often have to share you know, the same area of facility. So disputes can arise very easily. So bylaws are very essential to maintain the necessary order and harmony amongst residents. Without bylaws, I mean, anyone could essentially do whatever they please to other people's property, the honest corporation's common property, and behave in any way they wanted. So, you know, imagine how chaotic it would be to live in a building that doesn't regulate how many pets a person can have or who can park in the visitor parking spot Mm. or the amount of noise a resident can or cannot create.
0: Yeah. And even on, I suppose, I could say a superficial level or an aesthetic level, when you're talking about bylaws that might govern the way a building looks. So you've got bylaws in some buildings that say what kind of blinds you can have, what kind of curtains Mm -hmm. you can have. And just on the point about why it's important to understand the bylaws and understand that they exist and what they say, you could be putting up blinds and curtains and you could have spent quite a bit on them. I know these kinds of things are expensive. And then you have the chairperson of your building knocking on your door saying, no, you can't have purple blinds. We only permit cream colored blinds in our building. Didn't you see special bylaw number 43? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a really practical reason, I think, that strata owners and residents need to know about the bylaws and understand them.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, just last week there was a client who called me and said, "Apparently, I need a bylaw to do renovation works." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, you do." <laughs> and he said, "But it's my own property. I'm just doing things inside the building. It's not even going to affect the outside." Yeah. I said, "But you know, at the end of the day, what you are buying is actually just airspace. Everything else is considered, could be considered common property." Yes, that's a than really a small property. Yeah. That's
0: a really good point and it's something that I touched on in episode one of the podcast. What's the difference between lot property and common property? And a lot of strata owners don't realize that they are indeed affecting common property when they're doing what they think are simple renovations, kitchen renovations, bathroom renovations. They are actually most of the time affecting common property and therefore they Mm. need approval and that approval is 90% of the time
1: by way of bylaw. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess strata is still quite new and a lot of people don't understand what strata is like. Mm. But I think seeing all these new developments coming up, Strata will, um, will be a very familiar creature to everybody. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope we can have a hand in familiarising it. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> okay, so how are bylaws enforced? Well, bylaw breaches are actually very common in strata schemes because mm. most of the time it arises from a lack of knowledge of the bylaws, like we just said. So many bylaw breakers don't even know there's a bylaw in place and what they are doing is actually wrong. So in that case, the best thing to do is just to approach them, have a face-to-face chat with them, just let them know, look, you need a bylaw or what, you've, what you're doing is wrong. And if that's not possible, get the Honours Corporation to write them a polite letter just to let them know, you know, what you've done is wrong. You need to comply with the bylaw. And usually that should be enough for them to realize, oh, what I've done is wrong and I need to, you know, get my acts together. Mm.
0: I think particularly when you're talking about breaches that relate to noise and one of the standard bylaws that buildings are registered with is a bylaw in relation to noise and not disturbing the peaceful enjoyment of other owners. So I think that's a really good example for what you're talking about there, Savina, where just knocking on the door and saying, hey, Mm -hmm. do you guys realise that last night you were particularly noisy appreciate that it might have been a party, it might have been a one-off, but I just want to let you know that that really impacted me and I work early shifts and would you mind keeping it down? Uh, And by the way, do you realize that there's a bylaw in relation to noise and technically you're in breach of that bylaw? Here's a copy of it and maybe you can have a think about that next time you're thinking of holding a party.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, generally people just want to live in strata complex, you know, harmoniously without causing any issues to other residents. But having said that, there are always, you know, some stubborn cases where the resident displays a complete disregard for the bylaws. Mm. And thank God they're in the minority. Mm. You know, this category of people that needs a stronger form of persuasion to make them comply with the bylaws. And when that happens, I guess the owner's corporation will then need to consider, should we get the intervention of a strata lawyer to provide legal advice on what options are available to the owner's corporation to enforce the bylaw? Mm. And what are some of those options? Say if you, you've written them a letter and it hasn't worked, the next thing to do would be to serve a notice to comply on the bylaw breaker. So that would just set out, you know, the bylaw number that the owner is in breach of and what are the behaviours or action that they are displaying that's in breach of the bylaw after notice to comply served and that is still ignored, the Honours Corporation then can seek a penalty of up to 550 against the offender. That penalty is actually paid to the Department of Fair Trading. It's not to the Honours Corporation. An alternative to seeking a penalty order is to seek an order from the adjudicator to require the offending owner or the occupier to comply with the bylaw. But before doing this, the parties must try to resolve the dispute by way of mediation. Now, if the order is made and the lot owner is still not complying with the order, the Honors corporation can then apply to NCAT, which is what we call the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, for a penalty order that can be up to $5,500.
0: Mm. So, then we start really seeing an impact when the penalties are getting up that high. I, I just want to go back, Savina, and address couple of, yeah. a couple of the things that you've said there. A notice to comply. Now, something that I want to make sure our listeners are aware of, this is a notice that's issued under Section 45 of the Strata Schemes Management Act. And it's very important for that notice to comply with a number of the formalities that are set out in the legislation. As Savina says, it needs to list the bylaw that has been breached and set out the terms of that bylaw. A notice to comply can only deal with one bylaw at a time. So, we always advise our clients that if you're issuing notices in relation to breaches of numerous bylaws, you actually issue separate notices. The notice needs to be issued on the instruction of the executive committee, or if your strata manager has been delegated authority under their strata management agency agreement to issue these notices, then the strata manager can issue it. We generally recommend that the executive committee resolves to issue a notice to comply. It's not that difficult to convene an executive committee meeting and it just gives you that extra layer of authority. The reason why all of this is important is because if the notice to comply is not complied with by the bylaw breacher and you proceed to NCAT, as Savina said, seeking a penalty order you must prove that the notice was properly issued and that you complied with all of the formalities. So we have unfortunately seen owners' corporations and strata managers who have attempted to issue these notices and perhaps without the right advice and guidance. They've issued them or they think they've issued them properly and they've gone to NCAT to get their penalty order and NCAT said, well, sorry, you didn't have the executive committee resolution authorising the issue of this notice. Your strata manager doesn't have delegated authority under their agency agreement and you haven't properly set out in the notice the terms of the bylaw. So, even though I can see a bylaw is being breached, I can't issue a penalty order because of those technical failings. So, that's something that I just really wanted to flesh out there. Make sure you get your notices to comply or section 45 notices right. Okay. And Savina's given you just an outline there of what happens next in relation to bylaws being breached, if you want an order of the adjudicator, which isn't in the first instance a fine, it's an order actually requiring the bylaw breacher to comply. So, it might be somebody who has carried out work on the common property, they've renovated their kitchen and in the process they've destroyed waterproof membranes and damaged the the surrounding common property and you actually want an order that they reinstate you have to get that through the strata schemes adjudicator. So you have to go through that process of mediation, as Savina said, and then submissions to the strata schemes adjudicator. The adjudicator can make an order requiring the lot owner to do all things necessary to reinstate the common property, bring it back to its original condition. And if the owner doesn't then comply with that order, then they could be facing a much higher penalties of up to $5,500. Now, this is the law at the time that we are publishing this episode. It's April 2016 and the law, as you may well know, is looking at significant change in the later half of this year and this is one of the processes that's going to be subject to quite a bit of change when it comes to penalties, the amount of the penalties and how the adjudication process works. So, that's something we'll certainly get into in later episodes. All right. So, Savina, what are some of the challenges that you've seen buildings or lot owners face when it comes to dealing with bylaws and what's
1: worked in terms of overcoming them? In my view, the decision to enforce a bylaw is a big challenge for a lot of strata buildings because some bylaw breaches, like what we just mentioned, emission of noise is actually quite subjective. Mm. So, for some people, you know, they can be quite tolerant to noise's from their neighbors because they accept that, you know, it's part of community living. There's bound to be some noises. Mm. But some people may not be as accepting. So when complaints are made to the Honest Corporation about, say, noise, The Honours Corporation will then need to consider, well, is it our building's policy to enforce the bylaws regardless of, you know, the degree or nature of the breach? Mm. Because if so, that could be very costly and onerous. Mm. It may even lead to an increased attitude of enforcing one's rights. Or alternatively, you know, the Honours Corporation may only address those breaches that are deemed to be sufficiently serious by the executive committee. But if they do that, the Honours Corporation may need to bear the risk of being perceived by the residents as being unfair. So... I think to overcome this challenge, the bylaw should set out some objective standards mm. to minimize the subjectivity in the bylaw. And we see this a lot in flooring bylaws that require the use of new floorboards not to exceed sound pressure level of like say 45 decibel. Mm-hmm. And another way to overcome this challenge is to, you know, seek legal advice on, you know, what's the process involved in enforcing the bylaw? What's the time frame that we're we're looking at enforcing the bylaw and what are the costs associated with that because with all that information, the Honours Corporation can then make an informed decision on when to enforce this bylaw and how should we enforce the bylaw.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point that you make and I think you've hit the nail on the head when you say that's a big challenge because it's certainly one that we see a lot committees and even strata managers struggling with whether or not to take on a breach and to take it to the next level. (sighs) I often use the analogy, and it's an analogy that I think was coined by my senior colleague, Robert Van Ouse, and I say strata bylaws are like no standing signs. We see the no standing sign or the no parking or no stopping or whatever it is on the street, and we say, all right, well, we're not going to park there, we're not going to stop there, or maybe it's two-hour parking. We think, all right, well, we'll only park for two hours. But every now and then some of us think, well, we'll give it a go, We might park here and maybe we won't get caught and we push the boundaries a bit. But for 95% of us, that sign works and we obey it and we don't break the law. Now, bylaws are the same. They're there, they're in place. Everybody knows that they exist. You can read them. They're accessible. We understand them. And it means that 95% of us comply with them. But then there's the 5% or so that push the boundaries and some get caught, some don't. For some, it's worthwhile going after them. For others, it isn't. And it really is a decision that only a committee can make in the circumstances. And I think you give some really good advice there, Savina, where you say to the extent the bylaw, the wording of the bylaw, the terms of the bylaw can help a committee Mm -hmm. to make that decision by setting out some objective standards and perhaps a a benchmark for compliance that they can tick some boxes, then that's really going to help them be seen to be fair and reasonable in the circumstances because no committee wants to be running a concentration camp or have owners that think that they are... And so if they can point to a bylaw, and as you say, a flooring bylaw that says, well, these are the requirements of the bylaw, this is the decibel level, and we've done some acoustic testing, and on the face of the documents, you're in breach of the bylaw, and we're going to take that further, then that really helps them to come to what seemed to be a fair and reasonable decision and to be upholding what's in the best interests of their owners. Savina, can you share a story with us about how you've helped a building or a lot owner using a bylaw?
1: I think you'll remember this case too, Amanda. <laughs> um, so in early 2015, we acted in a matter where the owners Corporation successfully undertook enforcement action against a lot owner who installed hard flooring without the owners Corporation's mm-hmm. approval. And that approval is actually one of the requirements in their flooring bylaw. Now, this lot owner falls under the stubborn category that I referred to earlier because we wrote letters to her requesting her compliance but there was no response Mm -hmm. so we served her with a notice to comply and it wasn't to our surprise that the notice was also ignored so the next step was the honest corporation lodged an application for a penalty order with the tribunal seeking a maximum penalty of 550 now because the rules of evidence apply in this situation, it means we had to assist the honest corporation's witnesses to present their evidence in the form of an affidavit or statutory declaration, and the witnesses had to be prepared to have their evidence to be cross-examined on the day of the hearing. So this means there was a lot of preparation that went into this civil penalty application, and was also very quite costly for the honest corporation. Mm because legal advice is inevitable if you want to make sure that your application complies with the rules of evidence. It's very complex. Now, returning to the matter that we were involved in, at the penalty hearing, the tribunal member accepted the Honours Corporation's evidence and was satisfied that the lot owner had breached the notice to comply. So as a result, the tribunal ordered the lot owner a penalty of 220 to the Department of Fair Trading. Now with respect to the Honest Corporation's costs, we sought a costs order against the lot owner for the Honest Corporation's legal costs in preparing and arguing the application. The tribunal member acknowledged the length that we had gone into on behalf of the Honest Corporation to prepare that evidence. So a cost order of $4,000 was made against that lot owner in favour of the Honours Corporation. Mm. So on the day of the hearing when it concluded, the Honest Corporation was very happy with the result because... You know, although the penalty was only 220, the cost order was far more than that. Mm. And after the order was made, we served it on the lot owner. And surprise, surprise, the Mm. lot owner solicitor contacted us. And let me just tell you, it was not the penalty order of 220 that grabbed the lot owner's attention. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a good story. (laughs) I do remember (laughs) that one. Just for our listeners, I just want to make clear that point about the rules of evidence applying in penalty applications. The way the tribunal works in New South Wales is that lawyers aren't permitted to appear unless they're given leave from the tribunal. And in our experience, when we're dealing with a penalty application, because it is a quasi-criminal matter, because a penalty, a monetary penalty, can be made against the bylaw breacher, the tribunal takes these matters very seriously and perhaps more seriously than other matters where the tribunal is simply making a decision based on the facts and the law and then requiring someone to do something. Because the tribunal has the power to penalise and issue a monetary fine, they want to make sure that they're making the decision based on some very clear evidence. So they require witnesses to present their evidence in such a form that it complies with the kinds of rules that are applicable in courts, even though this is just a tribunal and is supposedly a consumer-friendly tribunal. So it likes to see evidence in the form of affidavits or statutory declarations, and these are documents that have been sworn in front of solicitors or justices of the peace. And then it allows each side to cross-examine witnesses, so to test their evidence, and it makes sure that it fully hears the case of each side so that it can make the most informed decision available to it. So that's why owners' corporations and strata managers often get lawyers involved in penalty applications so that they can be assisted in preparing the evidence to that level of detail and it's certainly what we had to go through in that particular case and of course that's expensive for owners' corporations and this was a case where the committee in question had decided enough is enough, we're going to pursue this person for installing these hard floors without consent. And we appreciate that it's an expensive exercise, but we want our community to understand that we take these things seriously. So they engaged us and they ended up spending a considerable amount of money. But as Savina's just explained, they also got a considerable cost order. And not only was that a cost order a benefit to them to be refunded to part of their legal fees, but also a significant deterrent to the bylaw breacher and anyone else who might have been thinking of breaching the bylaws either by installing hard flooring without approval or otherwise altering the common property or doing something that simply wasn't permitted in that community. So that was a case where the owners corporation was very happy with that result. And as Savina said, that $4,000 cost order certainly got the lot owner's attention, whereas perhaps the $220 fine might have been filed away. Okay, so Savina, can you tell us about any books you've read that have had an impact on you and why? And they don't have to be strata or law books.
1: Okay, (laughs) because I was thinking of saying Corporations Act 20. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you were. (laughs) So when I was a university student, I picked up this book written by Richard Branson and it's called Screw It! let's do it. Yeah. Um, It's a very short book. And in that book, he shares his ideas and secrets to his success with his readers. There's one quote in his book that has always been my favorite. And he says, I never went into business to make money, but I have found that if I have fun, the money will come. Mm. That quote stuck with me because, It made so much sense to me. I mean, if you don't love what you do, it's going to be very difficult to go through the tough times when they come. So since then, I focus my life on my family, not taking life too seriously, having fun and be challenged. Making money has never been my top priority. And I think that's important, you know, as a university student to make sure that I know what my priorities are. So Fabulous.
0: How wonderful that you were able to get your hands on that when you were still a student.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was always very intrigued with Richard Branson because he just seems so larger than life. we yep. seem to be, you know, having a lot of fun. So yeah. I just wanted to know his secrets.
0: <laughs> he sure is. And let me say to our listeners, Savina certainly brings the fun to our office. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Savina, how can our listeners find out more about you? And is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye?
1: So, yeah, to find out more about me, the listeners can go on www.lawyerschambers.com.au. There's a little quirky bio about me under Our People, but I won't spoil it by telling you what it is. (laughs) So, yeah, I was thinking about using that for your introduction, but I thought the same thing. (laughs) Let's not tell all of your secrets. So if any of you have a question about bylaws or strata in general, just send me an email. My email address is savina at lawyerschambers.com.au. Fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Savina.
0: And I think we've had a great chat about bylaws. To learn more about bylaws and the five other things that I think you absolutely must know about owning a strata property, don't forget to head over to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au and grab the free Strata Essentials ebook.
1: So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Savina. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. And yes, grab the free ebook. It's free. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.